0: Welcome everyone, I'm Andrew Duckworth, and I'd like to thank you all for joining us for our special festive edition podcast around off our series for the year of 2023. For all the positives from how we recovered from the pandemic over the past year, the world and our specialty continue to have significant worries and challenges ahead. So to review the past year here at the BDJA today, I'm delighted to again be joined by our editor-in-chief here at the Journal, Professor Farazad, who over the next 20-30 minutes will be giving us an overview of the past year, highlighting some key papers we've published here at the journal, and finally what we can expect and hopefully look forward to in 2024. Many thanks for joining us today, Prof. It's great to have you back with us. Good,
1: good to be with you and thank you for doing this.
0: So, Prof. Another year has passed as the world has really got back into the full swing of things following the pandemic, and there are lots of positives that we can take from that and 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 have been good over the past year. But obviously the significant challenges continue to present themselves, particularly both to our world and to our healthcare systems. So, what do you feel are have been the positives from the past year for our specialty? But what sort of challenges do you think still remain?
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting year, and in then I, I think in in reality there are still significant effects from the pandemic and everything everything else that's going on in the world. People are still exhausted and haven't quite recalibrated, but they are, I think, largely in a new normal. And research is back on a steady footing. I don't think the funding or the research is back to the level that it was getting to pre-pandemic. But I think people are working hard and good studies are in train and being funded, which is which which is phenomenal. But I, I still think there are huge challenges both in terms of the research world and uh, the the focus on what we really want to focus on, which is musculoskeletal disorders and how we deal with them, but also in terms of the workload that we as a community face, not just in the UK, but worldwide. There is still a huge backlog of patients to deal with. And uh, I think we still have to go out there and emphasize to the world that, you know, elective orthopedic surgery is not optional surgery. It is something that's really important to our patients and that the mobility of our patients will impact their overall health, it'll impact their longevity. And I think that message may be lost and that's why we see huge numbers of patients waiting. So, you know, we still need to do the research to underpin that but also reinforce that with the
0: paymasters. Absolutely, Prof. And I think with regards to our patients and our elective waiting list they're so waiting a long time, I think it's something certainly my colleagues have seen here in Edinburgh and I know others have, in, and I'm sure you're the same in terms of our patients are more deconditioned than ever, aren't they? They're waiting a long time in a lot of pain, on painkillers, and it's a real problem both for, both for us as the surgeons but for them as the patient as well. I
1: completely agree. It's a different paradigm, and if they're less fit, they recover less well. Once you fall down that slope it's very, very tough as a patient to climb back up, particularly for a, an elderly patient with comorbidities. So I think we need to we need to advocate for these patients.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And Prof, what about for our team here at the BJJ? What has been the past year been like for the Journal and, and our amazing team? It's
1: been a busy year. It's been an impressive year. Uh, we've still got much of the team working in a hybrid format, but the office has been busy and we've welcomed a, a variety of people, including all the visiting uh, carousel presidents, to come and join us at the journal, which has been a great experience. Probably the, the key thing has been the real focus on upgrading our electronic offering, and in particular, the new portal and the new website uh, for the society and, and for the journal. That was much needed. It involved a, a huge amount of work from inception through development through to delivery, and it seems to have taken place seamlessly, and that's a huge credit to the you know the incredible team that you know Emma Vodden Emma and Richard Hollingworth lead at the Journal, so that they've they've done this without really anybody feeling any pain along the way. It's 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 wonderful to see the new brand and the new offering.
0: I couldn't agree more, Prof. And I think it looks great. And I think for, I'm sure a lot of our listeners and users have used it already. But I think it's really something that is worth visiting and seeing how it has all been brought together in a really modernised, really effective way. And and that sort of moves on to a few other things. I wanted to talk about, Prof. In terms of maybe talking about our you know, before we move on to the papers, you know, you know, again, to highlight the Bone & Joy Open, which, you know, you know, our gold open access journal, which really has gone from strength to strength and has a great impact factor in its sort of first attempt as well, hasn't it?
1: That's been remarkable. I mean, you know, we see BJO as the place where we put in protocols, pilot studies, those, you know, sound studies that just don't fit into the limited space in BJJ and, you know, some new ideas, for example, but it has grown. It has a big following. An impact factor of 3.1 at the first attempt is absolutely outstanding. And we're increasingly seeing submissions direct uh, to BJO. You know, it's it's reasonable as an APC. It is uh, a good quality journal in its own right. And, you know, allied to BJJ, I think both will grow stronger together.
0: Absolutely. And like you say, the APC is, is very reasonable when you compare it to many of the other journals out there. And and in terms of our other sort of digital products that have been developed by the team at the journal, you know, led by Emma and Richard, as you say, they are really serving the orthop- orthopedic community well, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's been a lot of work again. And I think credit to the team for putting those together. But I think OrthoSearch is a, a great offering. It, it is a bespoke search engine for orthopedic surgeons and I and many others finding it increasingly useful, uh, and it's becoming refined as we go along. So I think that's been great. Author Media is a resource that is gaining both in terms of its content and in terms of its uh, popularity, which yeah. I think is fantastic. And and those kind of those and the websites reflect the direction of travel in the, the, the journal and the society are are offering a much, much greater uh, breadth of what our readers can get.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So probably move on to the papers now, you know, and then these are just a few highlight papers uh, of many good ones, excellent ones that have been in the, the journal the past year, and uh, and you've kindly picked these out for us. And I think again, this selection of papers as as we. I think we've seen over the past couple of years emphasizes the really like high level of evidence and the quality of work that we are now publishing here at the journal and have done for many years now. And the first of these is it sort of highlights an area that continues to be very topical, and it's from the team at Swelliock, who which was a scoping review on on how AI is being used in the analysis of radiographs following total hip and knee replacement and how accurate these tools are. And I think this. This was a really interesting study, I thought, because I think we are getting more and more in this area, a lot of excitement. But also we need to temper that excitement with w- waiting for the evidence, really, and making sure it's good. No, I can't agree more. I mean, yeah,
1: it's a fascinating area that is moving incredibly fast. And, you know, from, from the scoping review coming out to now, there's been phenomenal work in certain centres on how to look at radiographs, what to be able to predict from what you can predict from those radiographs. Uh, and, you know, facilitating something that is ideal, you know, the the, the review of images, particularly, you know, large volumes of images or images over time, is ideal for this sort of thing. So I think, you know, there's two elements to it. The the first is it's undoubtedly going to grow and we have to adapt and evaluate it as it goes with an open mind. And, And number two, we need to really start to study it very carefully, because this concept of here's a black box and we put something in and something came out and isn't it wonderful. That needs to be replicated. All good research needs to be reproducible and yeah. therefore people, you know, the IP within this, this, this area needs to somehow become transparent enough so people can check whether it is delivering what it says on the tin. But, I, you know, keep a careful watching brief because this is the way things are moving. And, you know, the, the, the ability to, you know, look at someone's knee or hip on a on a plain image or on a ct scan and predict what they need what alignment what positioning they need in terms of their implant or or in fact what the outcome of that joint's going to be over time without an arthroplasty is 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 really within within the bounds of possibility
0: Absolutely, I think as the, as the that's good, that review shows and it, it says, I think the conclusion is very apt, and it says that these sh- studies show that AI is promising, but we still still have insufficient high level evidence, and we need to build that. And I think it's one of these things that we can't just adapt, like you say, we need the data to make sure we're doing it right and it is actually effective. And I, I couldn't agree more. And if we sort of move on to the the next two papers, Prof, they're sort of looking at again an important area in a hugely, it always seems to be a topical area: perioperative fractures, trauma, It's always. Very trendy at all the big meetings and continues to be for good reason. And the first of those is the multi study led out of Leeds that was comparing fixation with revision revision surgery, sorry, for the surgical management of UCS type B periprosthetic femoral fractures around a cemented, polished, tapered slip femoral component following primatotal hip arthroplasty. And this was a, a nice sort of a study from several centers in the UK and sort of, I suppose, highlights the good collaborative research that is ongoing, not just in trials, but in other areas as well in the UK. No,
1: I think it's, it's really important. So, you know, per- per- a fracture has been close to my heart since I was a trainee. I did a thesis on it. I, you know, I helped Clyde Duncan develop the unified classification system that was the evolution of the Vancouver system. And the you know, fractures around polished tapers are an issue that doesn't fit into the traditional classification system well, and that really deserves attention, both in terms of how to manage them, but also, frankly, in terms of it's an area that probably hasn't been focused on enough in the past because these weren't picked up by the registries. The joint archaeoplasty registries picked up revisions and didn't necessarily pick up those fractures that were fixed. We then face in this area the challenge of those who like fixing things, those who like revising them, and then actually making the right decision for that patient as they come through the door, which kind of needs to remove the intrinsic bias of the trauma surgeon versus the arthroplasty surgeon. So unpicking exactly what to do with that cohort of patients is really important. And to look at this in, in any big way requires collaboration. And we've seen collaboration in a number of ways. We've seen it in pragmatic randomized studies. We're seeing it with trainee collaboratives. And here it's really, really great. There are weaknesses to this, of course. This is not a strong study because we cannot remove the confounding by, you know, by surgeon in terms of the decision making here. But ultimately bringing multiple centers together, treating these both highlights this as a problem and shows that for a patient for whom fixation is a reasonable option, Mm -hmm. the morbidity mortality is less than that of a revision. And that's Mm -hmm. food for thought for us arthroplasty surgeons
0: absolutely i think i think and what sort of goes well with that is the you, you did an annotation obviously led by uh, involving yourself and, and and one of our other colleagues chloe scott on the editorial board about that, that sort of accompanies that and i think this has been a really great thing that the journal has been doing in terms of we have the, the sort of some data that's come out and also putting it into context as well and sort of you know cutting it down to what what it sort of means and how it all fits in in a, in a really nice way
1: absolutely and, you know chloe did a wonderful job of creating the examples and uh, illustrating really that the key bit here is making that decision in, yeah. in that we don't we don't want to push everyone towards fixation because actually we've learned 20 years ago 30 years ago that inappropriate fixation of unstable stems doesn't work it leads mm. to high failure rate so we've got to get that initial decision right and then choose the right operation and so the, the, to be able to frame that in a way that was a parallel and doesn't diminish that paper is really important and that's where i see the front matter of the journal is something that's going to grow. I think what we're keen to do is share the best research with our community, Mm -hmm. but also frame that into context, both for practicing trauma surgeons, practicing arthroplasty surgeons, whoever it is relevant to, both in the UK and worldwide. So I'm hoping to increase the amount of front matter and the number of annotations, because there are some key topics where the data is not quite ready, but the the opinion, the, the context... Is important to share in a clear way.
0: Absolutely, and I think it, like you say, it very nicely shows the path we're on and where we may be going uh, in, in the future. I couldn't couldn't agree more. And sort of related to that is actually the the final paper you picked, which I thought was again, it's it's a really it's a pick from the team in the Netherlands, and and it looked to determine whether early surgical treatment results in better neurological recovery a year after injury than later surgical treatment in patients who have got an acute traumatic spinal cord injury. And I thought this was this was great because it's a multi-centre, prospective, registered study. It's not randomised. It's not a trial from 17 centres in Europe. And I think it's one of these ones where, you know, we, we've, we often talk about it at the board, don't we, as well, is that, you know, if we can get an RCT, great. But actually, this is an area where RCT is very, very difficult. And this is, pro- this is probably the next best thing in terms of trying to get the good data in this area.
1: You know, you're spot on with this is a really tricky, contentious, emotive area. Yeah, and and Like many things, you've just got to look at the research question and say, what is the best data we can get for this? Because sometimes we have to accept relatively low level data, even in our world pushing towards level one, Mm. you've just got to accept sometimes that this is the best you can get. And whilst this study has limitations, it has brought together a big amount of data and asked some pretty critical questions and I think genuinely challenged the traditional thinking in this area. Mm -hmm. And, And again, a, a bit like the, a bit like the, the discussion we had about prosthetic fractures, a bit like the area of networks in orthopedics, we have once again uh, frame this with front matter. In this case, yes. with an annotation to really look at that from more perspectives. You know, mm. to share with the reader, there is no bias here. We're all keen to improve the care of these patients. Let's face it, these patients have horrific injuries. You know, yeah. this is a huge problem. So anything we can do to improve their medical care, their surgical care to do the right thing at the right time is really key. And mm-hmm. in this case, we framed that with an annotation, but actually the authors should really be congratulated on having designed and carried out what is probably the best study that could have been done at the time. And, you know, they registered, they, they kind of did it, did it in, in the way we would expect someone to do an RCT yeah. without doing CT because an RCT wasn't possible.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely proper. And I think like, like I say, I think all those papers really emphasize that sort of not just all highlight, they're all good level elements, but they are, there's a broad, there's a breadth there as well of how you can answer each question and that there isn't all one size fits all. And I think, it, I think it's really interesting that. So, so sort of finish up, Prof, moving on from those papers, you know, what you, what's your anticipation for 2024? What are our sort of maybe, what do you think will happen, I suppose, in terms of predicting the future as best you can, but also what are what our, our challenges going to be, I suppose, more than anything?
1: Well, I, mean, I think it depends where you are in the world, but there's still a hell of a lot going on. And I you know, genuinely hope that, you know, we can wake up in 2024 and say that the world's a happier, more peaceful, more, you know, g- g- genuinely easier place to live. I think in in terms of our particular world at the journal, we are continuing to develop the digital products that we have. And there's a great deal of work going on in the background to improve every aspect of those. And in fact, some others that we'll hopefully see launched in 2024. Mm. I think uh, our dissemination machine, if you like, continues to work incredibly well. So I always highlight to people that there's one thing about delivering the research to print. The second piece is actually looking at its impact and, Delivering it to the wider community and making sure to share appropriately. So, our social media, our videos, our podcasts that you do so ably, our infographics are all I hope going to continue to grow as part of the offering. And I'm hopeful that the the musculoskeletal community can get back on its feet and deliver some of the weights that we, you know some some of the the surgery that needs to be done, but also deliver the, some of the research that needs to happen. I, I'm increasingly seeing good quality orthopedic research funded, and I'm hoping we'll see more of that in print in 2024. So I think it'll be a busy and exciting year for the the publishing team, for the editorial board, for the journal, and hopefully for all of us.
0: Absolutely, Prof. That's very well said. Well, I think bro, I think that's uh, all we have time for, but thank you so much for your excellent overview and, and the papers you picked and, and what has been another always really an, uh, interesting and informative um, discussion about what has been sometimes a, a really challenging year for our specialty um, profession and for the world, as you say, and hopefully uh, some more positive um, times ahead in 2024. And as ever, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Thanks again for doing these this year.
0: And finally, as ever, we would like to wish all our listeners and our wider community a happy festive period and all the very best for 2024. We at the General thank you so much for your support. Stay safe and well, and and thanks as always for listening.